you know, with all things, right? You have to start with awareness and assessing where you are and kind of accurately diagnosing that you're unhappy. You know, I think that we often want to ignore things. I call this drowning in shallow water, right? Where it just feels like I can't quite get out in front. My life is good, but not great. I just feel this general, like, lack of satisfaction. And I think at some point you have to name it and just say, like, this isn't working and actually call it out. I think that's the beginning of change. Yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> Are we mutually aligned oh, right now? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's, there's always two <laughs> versions. I mean, you're moving a little slow, but... Working I, I, really a- hard. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> Love or Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Yes, you are. <laughs> Jeff, we had to redo that intro a few times prior to this recording, guys. I've only done it 148 times. Jeff's trying to do new things and just messing up trying to every keep it time. interesting for our listeners. Change <laughs> things up. <laughs> and failing. Thanks for being on this journey with us as we're kind of digging into what it means to be really living a healthy relationship. And sometimes that's there's all different words and categories for that and trying to define it as hard. And what does it mean for me to be healthy? What does it mean for you to be healthy? How do we do this together? Oh, so difficult. <laughs> it is. But, but a yeah, healthy me leads to a healthy we. A healthy me leads to a healthy we. It's kind of cheesy, honey. I'm just and you came up with it. it. I'm gonna say it over and over and over. It's a little, yeah, yeah. It's a little cheesy. Okay, that's fine. Me, fine. But today is gonna be a good one. Yes. So today we are talking to a life planning coach, Chanel Dacoon, and she is teaching us just a lot about purpose today. Chanel's awesome, awesome, awesome. Thankful to have her on the podcast today. You guys are going to love her. Yes. I want you to listen for three things. Number one, big question. What does it mean to have a thriving family? Okay. Number two, reclaim the morning. Mm-hmm. That was and good. number three, drowning in shallow water. Ugh. Ooh, that doesn't sound fun. No. Well, let me give a little bit more info for her, for Chanel Dokun. You can find her at chaneldokun.com, which is C-H-A-N-E-L-D-O-K-U-N.com. And if you are interested in life planning, if you're listening to her and thinking she's amazing as what we're listening to her and feeling, because I'm about to book a session, by the way, Jeff. You you? didn't know that, but I am. Book it. Book it. So check her out and look her up. She's in the Atlanta area and just great. Trust me, this could be a very good thing. You saying that to me, I'm not worried. Yeah. I mean, I think you need this. (laughs) Let's be crystal clear. Now, here's what I don't hear in the first five minutes. I was like, okay, I love you, Chanel. Let me tell you what I know to be true. If you're listening to this, don't ever book your partner for a life planning process. They got to book themselves. That's okay? right. That's right. Because, I'm booking it myself. Yeah. Don't book them for a counselor. Don't book them for <laughs> a therapist. Don't book them for a coach. Don't book. 
Listen, life tip. Life tip. Life tip. Don't book your partner for something that you think they need. <laughs> Although you probably could book them a massage. That probably wouldn't be bad or something like nice like that. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. Don't that. book them for a personal trainer to get them oh, physically healthy. Boy, that's the bad news. Don't, these are all the things not to do in the world. Yes. There we go. Uh, she also has a book coming out next year, which we will definitely in promote. One full year from in now. In one full year. So we're going to promote it next year because I know y'all are going to forget, but it's called Life Starts Now. And uh, we will promote her next year for sure for that. So book it. Book it right now. I am. I'm going to. ChanelDeCoon.com. Look her up. Get some advice. Because what she says is probably something that I would say to you. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> stop being my life coach. I love it. Stop it. Let's All go. right, here we go. Chanel Dokun. All right, so let's start with a little bit of your story. Like, how have you found wellness or health in your story, which led to then coaching and planning and getting involved in other people's story. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, that's a big question. I would say it probably started with me living in New York City, standing in the middle of Rockefeller Center and doing the job that I'd always wanted to do. I wanted to work in magazine publishing. That was my goal. And I was standing there right where they put the Christmas tree. Our magazine was doing a big event. And I thought like, I've made it. This is so great. And then I was like, oh, this is so unfulfilling, <laughs> like wow. immediately after. And so I think that was the strongest impetus for my journey of just trying to figure out what does it mean to live a life where I'm actually paying attention to my deepest needs and desires. There were so many things I was pursuing that weren't actually meaningful to me, even though they looked successful on the outside. So needing to unpack both purpose and I would say deep wellness and what true self-care is in my life. So that would be the moment. Wow. Wow. Like so, a, that was like a, like a mountaintop like a experience, to but like a Christmas yeah. tree experience. I don't know. Somewhere. <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> yes. <laughs> so where did you go from there? Yeah. Like how does that land you I mean you just quit your job quit everything and you know what I mean like do a big like 180 or is this like a slow gradual coming to yourself yeah so I wish I could be like and then I quit I went in and I said like forget all of you I'm better than this but I didn't your Jerry Maguire moment or something right (laughs) totally yeah Yeah, I'm taking this plant and this fish with me um but no I (laughs) just basically went sat at my desk and was sad still. Um, I had been working on a blog with my best friend outside of work. And we were talking about dating and getting a lot of traction with that of talking about real relationships. And I wanted to advise people well, because they started sharing vulnerable stuff about their life. And so I had this like epiphany of, oh, I should go to school (laughs) for therapy. So I know what to say to people when they ask us these deep personal questions. And so I pursued a master's in marriage and family therapy. And I'll say it's that journey that really shifted things for me because like the motto of our program is that you can't take people to places you're unwilling to go yourself. Mm -hmm. So I had to do some really deep digging and confront all the things from my childhood and all the stuff that I was ignoring in my present life, all the ego stuff that was driving me. I had to wrestle with that. So were you in a relationship at that 
time, like, were you married then or were you? When I actually started the program, I was married, not in that moment of epiphany. Okay. Yeah. So as you were working through all that for you, going into therapy, what were some of the big things that, like, I'm sure you have, like, the before, who you were before, New York City, blah, 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 and, like, these things that you thought were meaningful and important, and then, like, this after, like, now, who do I want to be? How did those things translate out? Like, give us your before and after epiphanies or learnings that you discovered? I'll say probably the biggest shift is where career drive sits in my life. I grew up kind of thinking, I never want a man (laughs) to determine my destiny. Um, That had not been a great example in my family. And I thought that having a successful career was my pathway. Like that was my way out you know, of all of the difficulty of growing up in the family that I'd been in. I thought, oh man, this is my way out. And so I did a lot where my career was the whole of my life, like making it professionally felt like that's it. And then I think the biggest after is that I now see my life as this really robust, like organism, right? There's work, but that's a small part of who I am. And I started to open myself up to like my husband. The fact that I'm a married woman is insane. If you knew me before, (laughs) because I just thought I never needed anyone. And so to build a life with him and to find joy and pleasure in like having breakfast with my little boy and not being like an actual place of joy in my life and not just like, oh, I nailed it with this new client deal or something like that. You know, that is the wild shift that's happened for me. So very similar mindset as the person sitting next to me right here that she did not want a miracle I'm married. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing there are some interesting things and conversations you and your husband had to have or continuously have. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. Daily. Do you have a <laughs> wild individuality that just stays with you <laughs> that you cannot let go? We're turning this I into mean, not talking, current, not current talking about right anybody <laughs> I know. I'm just, you know. She's asking for a friend. Just for uh, a friend. Yeah. That just stays and then just rubs your partner in a very non-pleasant way. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, this escalated quickly. I was not ready for this. (laughs) It's because we love you, Chanel. We just feel so good talking to you. It's the therapist thing. You immediately felt like we should talk about our stuff. Yeah, I already felt safe just in the last five minutes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That is the struggle. There is that wild individuality and... There's so many times where my husband is like, I'm your partner. Like, you're not alone. Like, my first instinct is to do things by myself, right? Or it's like, he'll watch me lifting something across the house and he just stares at me like, it doesn't even occur to you to ask me to help you. Or when you do, you do it like apologetically, right? Yeah, it creeps up every single day. Yeah. Wow. We'll go into counseling later <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We'll just book some sessions real soon. All right. So you work with many people that are in this pursuit of trying to figure out that meaning that you were having to figure out yourself, right? They're in one situation. Yeah. 
and they know they're not being fulfilled. They're not finding meaning. I mean, this is like so many of our listeners right now, right? And so oftentimes we hear it relationally, we'll sit down with a couple and this has happened to me. It's like somebody meets me and they're like, hey, can you and your wife go out with us? Because my partner really needs to find their purpose. Like this is like a very common All the time. thing. All and I'm the like, time. really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious for you, like if, if you were sitting with someone, like where do you begin on that journey advising someone in that pursuit of meaning for their own life? You know, with all things, right? You have to start with awareness and assessing where you are and kind of accurately diagnosing that you're unhappy. You know, I think that we often want to ignore things. I call this drowning in shallow water, right? Where it just feels like I can't quite get out in front. My life is good, but not great. I just feel this general like lack of satisfaction. And I think at some point you have to name it and just say like, this isn't working and actually call it out. I think that's the beginning of change. And then from there, it's starting to go, okay, well, what's not working, (laughs) right? Like, how am I actually doing and and going space by space and trying to assess and, you know, kind of evaluate every area of your life. I think that most people often rush to the wrong solutions. So especially a lot of the folks I would imagine that you work with in kind of your sphere and the folks that you're in touch with are like driven people who care about the world. And so they're not afraid of making change. Often they make the wrong change because they haven't accurately diagnosed what was wrong at the outset. What do you think about the people that maybe have named it, right? They know where they are right now and they're like, this isn't what I want, but yet kind of like I chose this, right? So maybe the woman who has, you know, four or five kids at home and she's, you know, at home now doing all the, you know, stay home mom things, yet she knows that they made a decision way back on kid one that this was going to be her, you know, place in her her life. And she made it knowingly and he made it knowingly. And now she's unfulfilled or she's not happy. But yet she's like, I chose this. I said, this is what I wanted. It's hard, I think, in those moments to really make the change because I think in your brain, you're like, this is what I committed to almost, you know, how we set this up. Are we allowed to still make a change in this or are we stuck like this? Yeah, I know. I think about love and work, right? We talk about this in the workspace a lot. We talk about sunk costs. I've been on a particular career trajectory or I started some business or whatever. And now we go, oh, wait, this isn't what I want to do. And a lot of people won't make the pivot because they feel like, oh, I've invested so much, right? And I think we can do the same thing in our personal life where we committed to a certain sort of life and it's okay to go, this isn't working for me. I mean, it's not working for you, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So why lie about it and pretend like it's fine? I think once you start to just confront that, you can go, okay, well, now what changes can I make? I think a lot of the work that I do is to try to get women in particular, but both, I work with some men as well, trying to get them to take responsibility for their own life. Like, I think we often shirk our like agency, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can change. I think it's easy to live in a this is such a therapy word, but like a problem saturated story, right? It's easy to keep going. I'm miserable. This isn't working out. 
And that misery can become so familiar that you don't do anything about it. So I think it's fine to say, I want to be different. I don't have to be trapped in this life forever. I can make some changes. So what do we do? You know, and I need to start pursuing a more purposeful life. And frankly, you're entitled to that. I think we're all entitled to a life of meaning and a life that feels full and deeply satisfying. So I think it's worth pursuing. I mean, it's the one life you've got, like live it well, you know? That's so interesting because there's rabbit holes in that space of like the wellness category. It's like they're going from one counselor to this other program, to this other program, to this diet, to this whatever. Like, so I'm curious, Mm -hmm. like for you, do you think finding purpose can actually change your health trajectory? Like how much of that is like they're in pursuit of something, but not finding meaning until they find meaning of why they exist. They'll never find it in these other categories. I don't know. I'm curious what you think. The first thing that came to mind when you said that is yes, because I think that the way many of us live is we try to pursue significance. We think finding our purpose is living a life of significance, right? And that means achieving something that is externally recognized as being a worthwhile life. And so we tend to be formed externally with our goals and our desires. And I think that when we move into a life of purpose, we start living from the inside out, right? So we start going, well, what do I really want? And not just what do I want, but like, what was I actually created to be and to do? Like, how am I wired? And so when you start to tap into that, I do think that that shifts you health-wise because I think you stop looking to things like, you know, I don't know, quite literally, this is the first thing that popped in my mind was like food. <laughs> that's right. what I, that's what I do. Right? I look to food or I look to like numbing out with social media or Netflix or whatever it is. I neglect my physical health largely because I feel like I'm not alive right? I feel like this pressure and it's almost an interesting form of rebellion against like the forces that are being put on you to live a certain way. And so we can often like sabotage our, ourselves. So yeah, I do think there's a direct connection. Interesting. I, I love how you said that, that so often we misthink purpose with significance. Mm-hmm. I think that is especially in our culture today where everything is kind of pushed on the social media, the likes, the, the you know, the accolades really, you know, out there. And you're really kind of trying to get people to more focus on the internal wants and desires. Is that true? And more so. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, real meaning comes from because so many people achieve something in their lives and, you know, you get the thing, right? Like you get the partner, you so wanted to be married for years and then you're married and you're like, oh, like, I wish I wasn't married, <laughs> right? And it's like, or I just like desperately or, damn, to get this, this is job. hard work now, yeah, this is you hard. know, <laughs> exactly. like it doesn't satisfy you recognize that you know, as wonderful, even in the best moments of a relationship, you're like, this isn't everything. There's still other stuff that I care about. And so, yeah, I think it's important to live for more than just these like milestones. There has to be a deep sense of, I get up every day because here's what I'm bringing to the world around me. 
living beyond yourself. I mean, for me, I feel like women especially are kind of trained slash taught all the factors that play into this idea that we are actually supposed to like give up ourselves for others in some sense, right? So the family, the kids, the the home, the whatever that is, that they're, we're taught that in some ways. How are you teaching women to really step into their needs and their desires without this like, well, I'm just being selfish then? It's a delicate question because I do think that we're meant to pour ourselves out a bit for other people, but I think men are too, right? So we kind of give that message to women. I think it's true of both genders. I would say for women, it's that like, how do you do that? I think it's a short-sighted question just to say like, how do I serve other people? Well, we all are meant to serve and give and kind of cultivate something here in the world. I think we all have some little plot and that might be huge on a really grand scale that's amazing. Or it might be something that feels like it's a little more ordinary, but it's equally valuable. And so I encourage women, especially I have a lot of clients who are stay-at-home moms, to go like, okay, you show up for your kids every day, but how do you show up different than the way that I would show up for my kid? Like you're a mom to these specific children in a specific way. And when you have a sense of your purpose behind that, Mm. it can change things, you know? So I know, for instance, my life purpose statement is I exist to identify brokenness and share ideas to empower wholeness and facilitate cultural transformation, which is this big statement. But really what that comes down to when I'm, you know, living and existing in my family is I'm the one in my family who usually points out like, this isn't healthy for us, or this isn't working, or, you know, honey, that's not how you tie your shoe, right? Like, I'm the one who points out the areas where we're not fully optimized or thriving. And I am the one who also is very good at kind of seeking out new solutions that can help us so that we can be whole people. So I'm very committed to my kind of that wholeness in in both my son and my husband. And I believe that because my vision is that if they're whole people, that they'll go out into the world and that they will make an incredible impact. So I have this huge purpose that's behind like the little moment of helping my son learn how to tie his shoes because he's six, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that every woman can have that. And I think when you then lean into it, I'm much more excited to help him tie his shoes, right? Mm. Rather than feeling like, oh my goodness, like just get it together. Or, you know, I have a billion other things I need to shove some laundry in. Like it helps me to be more attentive and present in my real life. Okay. So you just hit on something that is very unusual. You said like, I turned to my husband. I'm like, I don't think that that's healthy for wholeness as a family. I'm like, Quotes never said in any household ever, except for yours, probably. So how <laughs> can you, we all be more yeah, attentive yeah. How to that? How do you that? find that? Where do you even begin in that journey? Okay, so I think you're pulling my card a little bit here because my husband is a psychiatrist. Okay. So that's the, that's the ding, ding, ding secret of why I can say that. Because he's like, really? What do you know? Let's talk about it. Let's yeah. go talk about our feelings for the next three hours. Um <laughs> So it's awesome. But if you're not married to a psychiatrist, uh, I think just expressing that that's like a desire for your household. I would argue that every household kind of has that vision a little bit. It may not look the way that it looks in our family, but every family wants to thrive. 
And so, you know, getting to a place where you can actually say like, what is thriving for our family? Like you have to define that. So if you can have that initial conversation with your partner, I think then that opens up the door to later then say, this isn't healthy, you know, or this isn't us kind of living our best life together because we've agreed upon this vision of thriving um, and one that factors in, you know, both of our unique identities. And so with that conversation, you're really taking in the needs and desires of both partners, ultimately fully, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to take in both their needs and desires into account and then also the needs and desires of our children. Yes. Because that's a lot. Yeah, which is a lot. And also know that you're not going to get it right all the time. <laughs> you yeah, know, sure. my, my husband's probably better at this because I grew up in a family where I would say that the needs of the kids were often ignored in a way that I would say was more like unhealthy and pathological is a strong word, but I'd say it's just more of an unhealthy space. Whereas I feel like he grew up in a family where the needs of the kids were not um, ignored, but not overly catered to in such a way that was really healthy. So kids kind of had the idea of like, look, your role on this team is that you like, you sit the bench, right? And we're going to put you in at some point, but like you, mom and dad are playing. (laughs) We're out here on the court. You're riding the bench, but you're going to do that for a while because we need you to like save up your energy for when you get to go out and play on the court. And I think that he just has such a great sense of that. So there is a little bit of paying attention to kids needs. But when you said that, I was like, oh, caution, because I think some parents, right. um, especially right swing. now, swing into that other extreme. Yes. Yeah, sure. we. I mean, we've definitely, it's easier to identify that in other families than it is in your own. We're like, Oh, they're catering fully to the kids. The, the, the needs of the kids drive everything or the needs of mom drives everything or the needs of dad or what it like. It's it's much easier to identify that in other families than it is in your own. But that's an interesting, honest conversation to probably have as a couple at some point. Yeah. Know. And knowing that you know, seasons, right? Where seasons of certain kids' needs might be a lot greater depending on the situation, what's happening in life, you know, versus other times. Yeah, but I love the question, like, what is thriving for a family? I don't think most families, especially with young kids, take the time to have a vision or plan for that question. Most of them are Mm. responding to what is coming at them. Or, Or they're just like... Oh, yeah. It's just... I mean, you you remember when it was young yeah. kids and just demands and just respond and react and good God, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> Can I just sleep? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know you interact with a lot of people that are in the midst of those moments that they're struggling. I mean, honestly, they're probably in a place of burnout. You know, they're in it and they're, they don't know how to get out of that. Is that a fair? You've worked with a lot of people in this space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Where do you go <laughs> when you're in that moment? Again, recognize you're, you're in burnout, right? Yeah. And kind of put some language to that. I was an English major, so I'm super nerdy with, I think like language constructs so much of the reality that we experience. So I'm mm. always like, name it, name it first. <laughs> That's the first step. Mm. But I think after that, I think prioritizing your self-care and wellness before you start to do all of this big work one of the practices that I really love with the women that I work with, 
um, I have this little practice I call reclaiming the morning and to really start to take back your life, to have time that's just set aside as like the sacred space for you to reconnect to who you are, what you care about, what your concerns are. And I think that especially parents, but anyone really that's alive in our modern age, we live in this kind of reactive, responsive culture. So we're often not out in front of our own lives where we're actually thinking about what we want, what we're pursuing, what's most kind of plaguing us internally. So I like this Reclaim the Morning practice because I think it's a great starting point to notice yourself and to notice what your needs are on a daily basis. And then from there, we start talking about like true burnout solutions. So is that a scenario where you're like, reclaim the morning, get up earlier and claim it? Or is there a series of practices that you recommend or what does that look like? Yeah. So, and, you know, in its essence, it's a journaling practice. Um, I recommend getting up 15, 30 minutes early. I know if you have little kids, everyone side eyes me and they're like, no, not possible. And I'm like, lies, you can do it. So carve out some little time for yourself. It doesn't have to be 5 a.m., but just however you start your day. And just kind of collect a little bit of time that you can journal and just write stream of conscious what's going on with you and what you're feeling, what's been, you know, percolating in your mind. For different people, it's different things. They're unpacking like a big decision that they want to process and others are, you know, kind of grieving things. But that kind of daily practice, and I think what's helpful about it is you're able to go back and start to track patterns like, Mm. oh, you know, yesterday I wrote for 10 minutes about how like, I'm so annoyed that my husband like never takes out the garbage. Maybe I should talk to him about that, you know, because it looks like if I look back at my past week of writing, I keep arguing or, you know, complaining about like household chores. Like maybe that's a real thing that I feel unsupported. And so I think it takes us out of like the momentary reactivity and it lets us see what are some of the longer term things that are sitting beneath the surface of our life Mm. so that we can start to do something about them. Mm. So there's like a commonality, like I keep writing about this. So what does that mean? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And clues to your purpose as well. I mean, it might be something where you're like, oh, I'm, you know, you have the mom who has three kids and she's super busy and she's maybe at that for that season of life, she's a stay at home mom. But maybe she notices that for months I've been writing about like a book I want to write, or I've been writing about like this product idea that I have. And there's this thing with essential oils that I can't get out of my mind. Right. And she's able to start to go like, well, how do I honor this person on the page? Like they clearly have a desire. So what do I do to cater to them and support them? Mm -hmm. And I think when you see yourself a little bit externalized that way, it helps you to start to make healthier choices for yourself, but you don't feel as guilty about making. I think that there's so many people who, you know, we are thinking about purpose. So kind of very individually first, right? You very much start with yourself and your needs and your desires and who you are. And then you think, I've got it. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm created to do. But then that may be great. You might be pursuing that. But then there's always like the the throw-ins of the really tough, you know. But then I have a partner who I'm in a relationship and I 
can't move to Africa necessarily and, you know, and pursue this dream. Or then I have a kid now. And now this, you know, adds, how do you help people in those spaces where it feels like they do know what they want to do? They do have this idea and dream, yet they're feeling like it's not connecting with partner and family in that way. So forgive me, because this is going to sound way more woo-woo than I intend. Like I I would never be I love woo-woo. I love woo-woo. Woo-woo is like okay. my favorite thing. So go I there. Just go there. I'll go, I'll go woo-woo then. Okay. But I would say I don't tend to be like super abundance mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not my natural, mm-hmm. that's not my baseline. Let's put it that way. I'm like your realist, pessimist, the world's falling apart, right? That's my <laughs> okay. baseline. But what you just said, it made me think about um, this line that I often use with my clients where I say that your life is in your limits. Mm -hmm. And I tie that to this idea of abundance because I think there are so many opportunities. Like there are, you can do anything, especially right now, even with all the limits that we think are on our life. I think we have more possibilities than people have had almost at any other point in history. Mm -hmm. And I think most of what's actually hard about life is the opportunity overload and trying to narrow and focus and get traction in one particular space. And so when you say, Hey, what if somebody's like, I have a very clear idea of my purpose, but I feel like my partner or my kids are now an inhibitor to me pursuing that thing. I would kind of challenge like, are they really? Mm. Because I think that there's still a way to actually effectively live out your purpose, even if you do have those constraints in your life. I would suggest that maybe one, you have too limited of an idea of what your purpose is. So I want to broaden it a little bit because any purpose that is that specific, like it can only happen in this one place in this one time. I don't think is actually a true life purpose. Like I wouldn't, I would never write a life purpose statement for my clients that way. Hmm. I would think bigger. And then I would say, I would use those limits to actually guide me into action. I think it's a, it's a nice way of actually not taking action to blame other people. Hmm. And so if it's really your purpose, I would start to ask a better question, which is how do I start to live that out now, right here in the context where I exist what does that mean? Hmm. And start noticing the opportunities that are before you to start solving those problems based on, you know, this purpose that you sense. So I think your constraints are guides to opportunities rather than being inhibitors in any way. Guides versus inhibitors. I think we often think of them as just blockages, like just don't pass go. (laughs) You can't go here. So find something else. Basically said, Oftentimes people are looking for someone to blame for them. Something you push through is like, oh, it's easier to blame my partner or my kids and why I can't do this. When in reality, like you probably can, but you're looking for a way. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Maybe just don't know how. Maybe you need help, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have a heart, say you do have a heart over, you know, for people that are in Africa, which my husband will side eye if I say that because he's Nigerian and he's like, it's a whole continent. I need you to be more specific. Right. So yes, say I you understand. have a heart for someone in Nigeria, right. right? It's like, okay, well, maybe there are ways for you to contribute money there. Maybe there are ways for you to actually connect with Nigerian culture here, like 
in the States, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is there a reason why you're not getting to go to that, you know, Nigerian church that's down the road and go serve those actual people and be in their lives and ask them about their family members that are still in Nigeria that have needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are all actual opportunities that you could step into, but it's easier to just go like, oh no, it's because of these kids that like, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it's the kids. I think the kids are a nice way out. So you interact, I mean, you have a degree in family therapy, I think, or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have all this training in like business consulting and life planning and all this. So if you were to combine all those and you're like, what is a healthy person that is living out their purpose, has a family, is not, because like that's the core of a lot of our conversations. What have you found to be the healthy commonalities in the midst of those overlapping spaces? I think in every area, it's like seeing the interconnected nature of things, right? Mm -hmm. So knowing that I'm a whole person who is meant to have some sort of global contribution and, and, you know, don't be discouraged by the big language there, like global can mean your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, but I meant to pour out in some way, we all have that as a part of our life. And then also thinking like, well, I meant to like do some sort of job, like what skills and talents and abilities do I have that I get to use? And what does it look like for me to be deeply connected in relationship and kind of holding all of these things in tension with each other? To me, that's what thriving looks like. That's kind of the life that I'm aiming for is where I'm honoring all these different parts of who I am. And no part is taking like greatest priority, right? No part feels like it's monopolizing all of who I am. And of course, that's a seasonal thing. If more of things are taking the dominant priority, would you qualify that as unhealth then? I do. I think that if you are out of, you know, I hate to use the word balance, right? But I think that if there's one part of your life that's monopolizing all of your time and energy, where you've fallen into a trap where you're deriving your identity from that one thing, I think that's unhealth. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think nothing is strong enough to bear the weight of like the whole of who we are. I don't think your family's meant to do that. I don't think your job's meant to do that. I think we need all of these like legs of the table, right? To hold up who we are. So I think seeking out opportunities to kind of grow and, you know, cultivate all these different parts of us is important. That's really good. So basically our question that we've asked everybody, is it possible to change the world, stay in love and raise a healthy family? What would you say to that? God, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I do believe it's possible. Um, I've seen it. I will say that. So I do believe it's possible. Does your husband believe that too? Because I mean, he gets into the feelings, right? I'm like, he's <laughs> Yeah, I'll say his parents were married for about 50 years, both nurses. They made it from like the slums of Nigeria with nothing and raised six kids, put them all through grad school and moved them to the States, but still gave back and went back and built a home and supported people back in Nigeria in a little village because they just wanted to help other people thrive the way that they had. And I'm like, that's a good life. Like they'll Mm. never make the news, but they have poured out all of who they are. So that's beautiful. That's the life I'm aiming for. Hey. 
And now it's time for the breakdown. Wow, that was deep, deep voice, Jeff, right there. Are you talking about the interview or the... Oh, I was talking about your deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> but both. Yeah, it, this was great. So, so thankful for Chanel to join us. What did you take away, babe? I mean, she just starts right at like, what does it mean to live a life that is actually based on knowing your deepest needs, desires, and purpose? And nobody answers that question. It's very rare. Yes. And I, I mean, I feel like so many of us do not stop and ask those questions of ourselves. Right. It's so hard. I mean, we've talked about this before, you and I, about adults have the hardest time saying, what do you want in life? Like answering that question. What, what are the need, need? What are the what do you need? What do you want? What do you most people are like, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Right. And a lot of times we just feel like maybe something is wrong or we're frustrated or we're agitated with how things are going. So we, we have like the symptoms and we know that something is wrong. And can we quickly point towards others as at fault? Yes. That's a nice way of saying we blame each other. We blame each other. But at the core, like, I can't be a good partner to you if you don't know what you want and need. And if I don't then express those wants and needs to, to me, you. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. That's a core issue that is a challenge in most relationships. Agreed. And it starts with you. A health. It's like my friend. Oh. It's like the, the love of it? my life once said. The greatest human I've ever met. She once said. A healthy me leads to a... What is it? You just teased me endlessly yeah, I got the in, the, in the intro about this and said it? it was cheesy. And now you're going to sit there and did quote the, me? Did I say the line right? A healthy me leads to a healthy me. Yeah. It's like the person of my life that is the greatest human alive. It says, <laughs> a healthy ridiculous. me leads to a healthy we. You know, you got to just think about that for a second. You're ridiculous. Well... What else did you enjoy with what she was talking about? What, uh, what mean, did you learn? I think it's really interesting to, to stop as a couple and answer the question, what is thriving for our family? We need to re-ask that for ourselves. It's seasonally. We yeah, should yeah. keep asking each other. Yeah, yeah, for every season, our daughter's going into sixth grade. Like, that's like a new season. So oh, what she's making new decisions of what she's going to be a part of and not a part of. It feels like all the extracurricular things are coming at us left and right. Oh, boy. And it's like, what does it mean to be thriving as a family, given that she's now in sixth grade, right? What does it mean for you to be thriving as an individual? What does it mean for me to be thriving as an individual? And what does it mean for our kids to be thriving? And how does that all work together? Yes. These are questions we were not able to ask during COVID. I'll be honest. Oh, it was we were a hard just kind of it's like making it every of, day. What does it mean to thrive? It's like, how do we just get to the next day? How do we just stay alive? And that, right that's, I mean, that, that's a more common reality, especially with people with small kids. Yeah, kind of stepping out, yeah. coming into this new phase, and it's a good reevaluation, self question. It's a healthy question to ask for your relationship. Yes. And then I really liked just this idea that she said about honoring all the parts of me. I think women, especially, we kind of divide ourselves or we only honor certain parts that we feel are what others think is important without truly honoring like all our true deepest parts about us. It probably starts to when you're like, well, what are all these parts of me and what are, I don't even know and all of that, I would say we probably should follow her advice 
and try this like reclaiming the morning kind of journaling process because I think that's a great start to sit there and yeah and sit there and see these parts of us that maybe haven't been coming out because you're just journaling stream of conscious you know absolutely well I think we should wrap it up what a great session with Chanel I called it a session because I got into some therapy I asked her some personal questions for our relationship oh yeah right yeah I'm gonna book a session with her about that one yeah Maybe on the topic of individuality in relation to relationship. <laughs> Do you want me to send her some of my notes? Oh, my God. Just kidding. See, you're trying I to just... life coach me again. This is what you do. Well, <laughs> I, I love you. You did say I do love you. not to life coach your partner. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Just love them. <laughs> I hope you're having a great week. We're so thankful that you listen into our podcast. We're so thankful that you are on this journey with us as we are learning. You are learning. That's another episode of Love Love or Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions. 